0: Hey, you, with the rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200-square-foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down payment on a fixed-rate loan, my human realized a new home was within reach. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells
1: Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed-rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A., Equal Housing Lender, NMLSR ID 399801.
2: Feral Audio.
0: From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, had some stuff I was doing. Whatever. And uh Charlie Pickering, Australian comedian Charlie Pickering, he's famous in Australia. He's to Australia what I am to the United States and the rest of the world. He's on the show tonight. Uh, you might hear my dishwasher in the background. I, I don't want to wait till that's done to record this, but hopefully you only noticed it once I pointed it out. Upcoming shows uh, tomorrow, November 17th, if depending on when you're listening to this. Texas Theater in Dallas, November 18th and 19th. I'll be in Houston at the Come and Take It Comedy Festival. December 3rd I'll be in Poughkeepsie. I think it's my Poughkeepsie debut at a Laugh It Up. And December 4th I'm doing a benefit in Brooklyn for uh, Syrian children, Syrian refugee children, uh, with Mike Berbiglia and Eugene Merman, Aparna Nancherla, John Ronson, Maeve Higgins, a whole bunch of people at the Bell House in New York in Brooklyn. It's a great venue. What else? Todd Barry podcast t-shirts go to toddberry.com slash shirt uh, feral audio brings you this podcast what else is there I think that might be it right did I forget anything oh I have a book coming out called thank you for coming to Hattiesburg it's about touring uh, smaller cities in the world and uh, you can pre-order it doesn't come out till March but you can pre-order at amazon.com I guess you didn't need .com you know where Amazon was and uh, that's it. Here's Charlie Pickery.
0: So when did you move back? When did you?
1: When did I move back? Back here, yeah. We're rolling, but uh, oh, right. I, well, I'll tell you anyway. Because <laughs> there's probably someone who's at home going, wow, when did he move back to New York?
0: In 89, <laughs> I moved back. To- oh, right, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm old, man.
0: I, I wouldn't, well, I don't know. It depends. If you're an infant... In 89, then you're That's a millennial. True. That's oh, true. Out.
1: Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that part of it. Yeah. You, I was. In, I moved back when I was an infant. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was uh, three months old. I moved back to New York. Uh,
1: Charlie, what brings you to New York? Uh,
0: you, um, oh, this on. fine country, the way you guys... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. It's a good time. Uh,
0: ...stewarding the world into untroubled waters. I know, man. What, what's
1: going on with that?
0: It, the great thing about podcasts is people can listen to this at any time in the future, right? But we are speaking—we're like seven days after the election, or eight days after the yeah. the election of Donald Trump.
1: Has it even been that long? I guess it has been.
0: Yeah, it's been a wild eight days too.
1: Um, yeah, it's crazy. Did you did you see it coming? Or
0: I had a. Do you know I was here a year ago, and I met with some people, and I did like a a thing on HuffPost TV where they were talking about, oh, the chances of this, you know, this wacky Trump presidency. Uh And it was with like a guy was like a campaign operative with a Republican congressman. Another guy was a, you know, international affairs expert. And I said, like, you you do have to take this seriously. And this was like, this was over a year ago. I'm not saying I'm Nostradamus. I wasn't the only one. But I was like, he is famous enough that he has a momentum coming in that most politicians don't and 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 that means that he'll get treated differently and he can be unserious and people don't expect him to be serious
1: oh that's a good point
0: and and i think the the result is you know a lot of people just hire like liked him because he was the guy with the apprentice you're like that that he didn't give a shit or you know like there's right. terrible reasons to hire someone for the job of president don't get me wrong
1: he says it like it
0: is yeah which it isn't, but anyway. right? So, and also he says a, it like, I wish it is.
1: Such an empty thing to say. He says it like it is. Well, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's not always a good thing. But it's, you know, I um, my country had five prime ministers in in the space of five and a half years, so I'm not going to rubbish anyone. Did you really? Yeah, we did. Because we have this whole other system where the prime minister is the head of, like, it's kind of like the speaker, you know, the speaker of the house. Uh-huh. If gonna, like, so there's a parliamentary, whoever, is the dominant party in our Congress? Let's. I'll use some American terms. Yeah. So, is the leader of that party. So, if their opinion polls get so bad while they're prime minister, uh, to the point that it threatens the party's chances at the next election, then they can knife the sitting prime minister. Really. And it's. And the thing is, most most parties haven't done it. Like they've held their nerve and gone, Oh, you look, look, he'll he'll come back. We haven't started campaigning yet. It's going to be all right. Yeah. But they did it to Kevin Rudd, Um, the Labor Party did it to Kevin Rudd, and that once it was done, everyone in Australia was like, well, screw politics, you're all idiots. Like, you know, we voted that guy in. Who are you to fire him when we voted that guy in? And so what happened then is just they, like, then um, Julia Gillard, our first female Prime Minister, took over from him and she barely squeaked through an election, but then she got knifed before the next election. Kevin Rudd came back, so we had him again then they lost the election to the conservative opposition and that guy, like, you know, he he proved unpopular and then he got knifed and another guy got put in and he barely won the election and now we're at a point where... So that's number five. (laughs) And so now we're at a point where he's been Prime Minister for over a year he won an election less than a year ago but he is deeply unpopular now he's going to get knifed as you well, would put i it. just wouldn't be surprised if he did but i like i think there's now a growing conventional wisdom that you can't knife the guy and survive is that a common
1: term there or is that your own thing
0: can't knife uh, knife yeah you know that's very common in our politics okay. like people get knived. like that's just like, means like stabbed from off from yeah. officer. yeah like stabbed in the back it's it's a bit it's too brutal about the I guess thing. it's uh,
1: self-explanatory. I didn't need – I guess I knew that <laughs> now that I'm realizing what – But it, you, it's
0: worth clarifying we don't literally knife yeah, people. Know. Like, that's not part of the procedure. But you do – you have to vote in Australia, right? Is that the truth? Everyone votes. Everyone votes. And for anyone that compl- – can, like, there are a couple of people that complain, but most people generally like the system where everyone votes.
1: How do they enforce that?
0: You get a fine if you don't vote. So it's like 150 bucks if you don't rock up to vote.
1: Can you show up and sort of...
0: Oh, you can draw a dick and balls on the bit of paper and you put can. it in a box. Like no okay. one knows what you vote. You can <clears throat> you, cannot, you can. Your vote cannot count. There are many ways of doing that. Right. But everyone has to at least rock up on election day and vote. Wow. And it's... Do you know what? I like it. Because, A, it's a civic duty. You know, like, it it shouldn't be seen as just exercising a right. There has to be responsibilities. Uh But also, it means it's a snapshot of what everyone in the country was thinking. It's not like, you know, this time around, less than 25% of the country voted for Donald Trump and he's president. Right. That's terrifying. You know, even Hitler got better numbers when he got elected. Easy now. Easy with the Hitler. Easy. (laughs) Easy. so uh give, yeah, give it time give it time don't don't jump into that too early
1: what uh i don't yeah we never got to why you're in new york now Oh, we got oh, all serious
0: oh well um i really like it here my wife is from new york i would like to live and work here oh you would and so um whilst i am currently like i'm an immigrant whose documentation is on the way uh uh-huh. of course um, it is yeah uh but i uh um, which uh, the elections made me slightly nervous, but I don't think I'm the kind of immigrant that people have a problem with. Yeah, here. it's
1: not. Uh, it's not Australians.
0: <laughs> no, I've, I've never heard of say a bad thing about Australians during the campaign. So you want to live and work here? Yeah, I really like it. This is a great city. Yeah. Aren't
1: you pretty famous in uh, Australia? Yeah, yeah.
0: I, How famous t- are you? Um, are you like? I did see. That's an awkward thing to say, but I know. You know, um, is it awkward for me to ask you that? Yeah, because and I annoy people because I, I I I say I like I I don't think of myself as famous. I just have a job that's really public, right. so I host the equivalent of the Daily Show yeah. in, in Australia. Yeah, I watched a few clips. It was good. Oh, that's good. That's a relief that you like. You never you know because well, everyone here got to watch John Stewart for like and and Colbert. Right. So it's like for me to show my stuff, I always feel like. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm not as good as them, but I do jokes about the news. So this is, you know, this is what I do. No,
1: it was, it was solid. I saw the one about, um, I guess it was a soccer player who...
0: Oh, fo- Aussie Rules football player? <laughs> yeah, 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 Who was getting booed every right. time he touched the ball? You're right. And- An Aboriginal player, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was that was good. Oh, cool. Thanks. And then, then there was the other one, which I'm blanking on, which was the... Uh, what was the other one? That's on your website.
0: Oh, that's on my website. There might have been... Oh, there was a 60 Minutes reporter. Was that one on there? The 60 Minutes reporter who... Um, For the story, organised a child kidnapping in Lebanon and then the whole reporting team ended up in prison in Lebanon. Oh, really? And it was just... It's all staged? Well, yeah, like they... Like it was real prison. Like they committed a crime trying to help a mother kidnap her k- kid back from the from the father in oh, Lebanon. Oh, I see what you're saying. And uh, we had a lot of fun with that.
1: So is your show still on? The de- the- yeah, so,
0: so what enables me to be here is I do a... I do a 20 episode season at the start of the year uh-huh. so from February through to June and it's and once a week yeah once it's a week it's called the weekly yes okay and then I get to I need everything explained to me. <laughs> and then I get to come here for six months and do really? stand up and take meetings and hang out and put on shows and you know and there's, do all of that
1: does Australian I hate to get keep talking about fame but I will yeah because I'm obsessed with because <laughs> I'm famous too no they uh, <laughs> does it I mean do you get recognized walking around here
0: yeah, yeah. So if I, it's normally like, if I don't, I mean, who goes to Times Square anyway? But if right. I go to Times Square, I'll get stopped by about 10 or 15 people. There. Really? Yeah. And Central Park on a weekend, I'll, I'll always get stopped. Wow. Um, but that's, you know, that's not why I got into this business. <laughs> oh, I of
1: course, none of us did.
0: But uh... <laughs> We don't, and money, we don't like money either. Yeah. It's. Do you know one of my favorite, I'll tell you this, this is one of my favorite shows that I've ever done. Myself and um, oh, I shouldn't even. Well, I facilitated a group of comics. I won't say any of their names. I'm kind of letting something out of the bag here. But we did a show at the comedy festival called Talking Dirty After Dark. Uh huh. And we all wore balaclavas, and the stage lights were dimmed, and it was just red light. You could barely see us on stage. And we pitch shifted all the microphones so you couldn't tell who was talking. And it was always a rotating cast of comics, so it was never the same people. But we did a show where we could be completely anonymous and have like a... It was like four of us on stage having a conversation and that was our comedy festival show. And we would do it at like midnight. It was at the Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne Comedy Festival. And so we did a show where no one could see us, no one knew it was us that was on. Uh Uh-huh. And we could say whatever we wanted without it being attributed to us. No matter how good or bad the joke was, no matter how risky the concept, there was no ownership of it. And it was a really interesting experience because there was no ego involved at all. If you, if you know what I mean, there was no one could see your face, and if right. the audience really liked it, they had no idea who they were clapping for.
1: And yeah, we, it's like these bands, like Gwar, and I don't know if you know about Gore, but they're bands that perform in masks. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. It's like you'd go, "Wow, you guys are touring," and no one. You, you right. Know, right after the show, you can go for a walk, and you don't even
0: get something, like someone going, "Hey, that was great." Well, who's the other one? Daft Punk.
1: No yeah, one knows who guys, Daft yeah. Punk is. I
0: mean, they're they're huge. Like, we had a band called TISM in Australia who performed in beanies, and no one knew who they were, and uh, and they were like really political. A band in like the late eighties. So, was the idea for this show that you did was it that you can just be filthy and
1: say things you would be embarrassed about saying, or?
0: Yeah, I, I think a little bit. It was a reaction. We were starting to feel like, oh, people are getting upset when you say a controversial thing. Right. Or, you know, people reacting on Twitter to jokes in an angry way, taking it seriously. And then we just started talking, like, wouldn't it be funny if we just did a show where no one knew who we were and we just, you know, said anything?
1: How were you able to maintain, like, this? Because I would just be afraid, oh, someone's going to. Someone's going to yap and go. This is that's who those guys are on stage. Do
0: you know what? It's amazing. Everyone just kept their <laughs> trap shut until now. I'm the guy that ruined everything. So well, you haven't named names. No, I know. So, but I've named myself. No one ever knew I was involved. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So, like, no one like I'm the first person to to out the fact that I was part of that show. But you have no idea which show that I was on. We did like twelve. Or, we did twelve. But it was your. That. It was you weren't hosting every show. I wasn't hosting every show, but I was. It was myself and another comedian. It was our idea, and we. it together that's a great idea yeah it's a good it's a good thing and what we really we both said afterwards we loved that there was no ego yeah in any of it because there was no credit you know there was no accolade for any one individual and that was a really new experience it it was just a conversation yeah really yeah wow and it was well what we did is we structured a questionnaire where i i wrote a a 15 question questionnaire that would be the conversational starting point. So there was the same questions asked in each version of this show, uh-huh. uh, and there were questions designed to take you right into a place where what you'd be talking about would be more risky than what you might normally talk about. Remember, so, Andy, so, so one question was, "I'm not racist, but," and then you talk and about you had just had to say something that. Clearly, race was an element, but... Was not, it like a confession or, or more of just a joke? Well, a joke. It could be a joke, but it, it's always funnier when it's true. Like, I remember one person said, I'm not racist, but I never trust an Asian barista. <laughs> and, and, and and the conversation was, why not? It's like, it, well, it's just culturally, like, coffee culture is not, you know, like, Asian culture. It's a tea culture. So I presume there's not a lot of knowledge coming to the table. I'm saying this is what was said on right, stage. Right, this is not, this is not my opinion. Right, right. I've had, in this city alone, I've had numerous wonderful coffees made by Asian baristas in this city. But what I'm saying is like, that, that gives you an idea of where the, the conversation would immediately put you somewhere uncomfortable and you yeah. had to make it funny. You know, right,
1: that's a great idea. Have you thought of doing that here?
0: I'd love to do that here. I, uh, I did another show here for the New York Comedy Festival and my plan is to do a bunch of shows. Oh, I want to do multiple shows next year at the New York Comedy Festival. My bathroom's making noise. I'm going to okay, sure. <laughs> um,
1: I met you at the Melbourne Festival, right? It was 2004, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. 12 years ago. Uh, well, I'm trying to remember like... Uh... What was our inter... I mean, I know we had some interaction,
0: but we did, did a couple shows together. We did a couple of shows together. What are you
1: together. doing something with a
0: piano? I was, doing a, I was doing a show with a guy with a piano. Okay. That was like a little side thing I was doing. It was a storytelling night, I think I was doing that year. Yeah. And, um, and so you might have seen that, but most of it... I was just doing lots of stand-up as well. So I think we did like the late night sort of the festival club thing while you were there. I got a little spoiled
1: because I did that before I did Edinburgh. Oh yeah, and it's such a—it's kind of a night and day. Yeah, uh...
0: yeah, and particularly as an international coming to Melbourne, they—they they pay for your hotel, they put you in a good venue, they promote you, you they do all the work. Yeah, the head of the festival pick me up at the airport. Yeah, that's—that gives you an undue sense of, it, right. of of importance. Well, no, a due sense of importance, right. Todd. Yeah, you—you you. You deserve that. I am... Other artists don't. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Edinburgh is the opposite. You are on your own. You will lose money. And you were just fighting the whole time for attention. And, like, it's just so much. It's it such a different festival. I've
1: done Edinburgh, I guess, twice, but there was seven years apart. Like, that's, I needed that much recovery time. <laughs> but that's that's enough time to go, hey, I should give that another try. Yeah. But it was... It was How was
0: it? Was it still hard the second time around? Like-
1: second time was easier. The first time I had... Uh, I'm sure I've talked about this, but we'll talk about it again. Um, first time I was given, like, an 11.50 p.m. spot at the assembly room. Yeah. And, like... It, Two Doors Over was the best of the fest. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not I would pick like six superstars <laughs> who they've heard of or like I mean, I guess someone would take a chance on the
0: Oh, yeah, the best of the fest would sell out. And yeah. then you
1: got a shot kid. Right. And then you get But those the best disc- of the
0: fest was like 700 seats. I remember that. I did that a few times. It's like and it's, and it's hard, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me it was hard. Yeah, it's an enormous. Like it's just Yeah, it's hard. I was at Gilded Balloon. I did I did two years in a row. And so so what I remember was I went and did Gilda Balloon, I produced myself, I printed 40,000 flyers and I handed them all out myself. I sold out my first show and sold out almost every other show just on handing out flyers on the street. It was a 60 seat venue, tiny venue, but still that's a good result. But the year that I did that, Tim Minchin was on in the same venue in a 350 seat venue and it was his first year in Edinburgh. So we both came from Australia. And Tim Minchin has put on just the most mind blowing show. Yeah, he's we good. both we both got nominated for best newcomer, but he is like he spends his day taking meetings with all of the all of the agents in the UK and international agents, and I'm just out there handing out flyers trying to fill my 60 seat venue. And I, I remember that you know like that experience really clearly that it was good for my head because I was like I've ticked every box of what I wanted to do coming here, but because the guy in the room next door is having a better time than me. I got jealous. If right. you know, I mean. you know, like it's, and I don't often get envious in this, you know, in this business. Also, there's no one more different to me than Tim Minchin, but it's just really funny that that was what I remember really clearly.
1: Yeah, it it was. Um, it 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 fucks with your head a little bit, or it did for me. And then and then the reviews. Oh my god. Like, yeah, it's I'm a, not used to that here in the states.
0: No, just but it's a whole ecosystem of reviews, and you need good reviews to sell tickets, and if you, a bad review can destroy you, and right, and, and, the, and the reviewers are pretty dubious quite often. Yeah, there are some heritage reviewers who know what they're talking about, but the rest are just people that want free tickets and want to make a name for themselves by reviewing. You know, like writing the review that people talk about. Yeah, or the it's next like a 22-year-old, and they're
1: like, "Hey, you want you want to be a reviewer? Yeah, I can do that. I
0: know." Yeah, I know what makes me laugh and doesn't make me laugh. Okay, well us There's more to it than that, but <laughs> <laughs> apparently not so much. I mean, but that's, that's, that's your... but that's the curse of comedy as an art form is. Um, no one treats it as equal to other art forms. Like I, I like the New York Times wouldn't print my review of the Met Opera, for example. Uh huh. Like I can go in and I can enjoy an opera or not enjoy an opera, but for some reason with comedy, anyone can walk in and yeah, they enjoy true, it yeah. or they don't enjoy it, and they are entitled to a you right. know print opinion about. There's it. There's no sense know? of like.
1: Do you have an informed opinion? It's yeah. just like, yeah, you can review comedy. Do you laugh ever? Yeah, sometimes you're in.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm the rest. What happens in Australia is the guy that reviews the restaurants will review comedy shows for four weeks during a during a comedy oh, festival gotten, like the guy who does sports you know <laughs> and then it, it's, like, it's like and then he'll um then they start
1: i'm also a comedy expert all right why don't yeah. you just write about sports <laughs> that's when your athleticism really wins them oh, over no, that's when I, that's, I, yeah, that's when you take I control do, <laughs> i do jumping jacks and sit-ups in my at all my shows but,
0: <laughs> so how many times did you do edinburgh I did Edinburgh twice, and I was all set to go back, but then I had a I got a show on cable TV in Australia, and so I I was going to move to London, and then I ended up staying in Australia to do TV for a while. So, when's the last, so you're ready to pack up and leave Australia? Well, I've got a two year old son. Oh, and so figure we've got three years to work in both places uh-huh. and to see which. Which makes the most sense. So the thing is, I can, I, I, I love the show that I make in Australia. I can happily keep doing that. But you know, if you've if I've got a nice little time limit, it's my one shot to try and make this work here. And I, you know, I deeply love this city. Like I, you know, I think it's a great yeah. city to live in. I think it's a cultural and intellectual centre. What
1: neighbourhood are you living in, if I can ask?
0: Uh, I'm Upper East Side at the moment. Ooh, we um. That's rough.
1: Yeah, it's tough, <laughs> tough
0: game up there. It's a little snoozy up there,
1: depending on where you are.
0: Yeah, it can be. And uh, we were in the, we wanted to live Upper West Side. And the apartment that we got, we got it on Craigslist. And it turns out it was uh, a hoarder's apartment with an increasing roach infestation. Oh, my God. And we tried to make it work for like three or four weeks and then we had to find a new place. And, and the thing is when you oh, can't- actually lived in it? Yeah, we lived in it for longer than we should have. I was like, I was way too optimistic about making it work. And I was way too like, no, we, oh, look, I'll just I'll get some roach traps. We'll fix it. But, you know, like, and then it just got, it was insane. And so now we're- with the opposite, we we got so lucky. We rented this apartment from a. It's a Chinese woman who owns it. Her son is studying in Connecticut, and she comes for three months a year to visit him, and then it's empty the rest of the time. So we somehow got this apartment. We got really lucky, and we've got a doorman like yeah, which is a like which is a foreign experience for an Australian. No one has a doorman anywhere in Australia. Really, yeah, even in fancy building. Ah, uh, there's maybe like literally five fancy buildings in Australia that would have a doorman. Like it's it's that unusual and it's funny how, how quickly you changed like initially I was very uncomfortable having someone with a bow tie open the door for me every day and, uh-huh. and let me in and then it's amazing after two weeks I was walking in and and he was just a little slow opening the door and I, and I could feel myself go well you took your time or like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like wow uh-huh. how quickly I got used to luxury that's, yeah, that's terrible like,
1: are, aren't you the doorman? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's right there in your uh, job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all I want is you to open that door for me. Um but the doorman building makes sense if you can do it. That's great. Like yeah. that's good. Yeah. Someone there to collect like if you can be out and things can be delivered.
1: Have you done the uh have you been here during the Christmas
0: holiday tipping? Yes, we have done that once before with a doorman. Uh, yeah. with the I did situation. so much research on that. This is such. Oh, a- can you explain it? Because I had no idea. We were flying blind completely, and we had no one to ask. It's like I mean, I found like a. This is so. Uh,
1: this is so. This is so. One uh, percent talk. It sounds like, <laughs> except that we're not one percenters. We're like two percenters. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, like you have a whole staff in the building, and you have to give them something. And it feels like it sets the tone of whether
0: you're a good person or not a good person. Absolutely. So when we arrived in this building, what I did was because um, they would help like with a luggage cut and, and help get everything up to the apartment. And so I, for this one day, I tipped like I was the Sultan of Brunei. Oh, when you moved. So yeah, whenever anyone helped me, I like over tipped every time. And now everyone loves me. Is that Australian overtip or actual overtip? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Maybe I just tipped every time. But I, uh, I feel like
1: I have a memory of, of tipping a bartender in Sydney. And he just looked like I got him a birthday present. Like, he was, <laughs> like I just threw a dollar. And it was clearly, okay, no one's doing this here. Yeah. Uh, and I threw him. He was like, like, he was delighted.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of tipping now. But it's genuinely, in Australia, tipping by and large is you tip really good service. Like you know, you 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 give you leave a good tip if someone was really great. that's right. that, and it's sort of more tipping is coming over time. But the thing is, our minimum wage is much higher than it is here. Don't like wait- everyone gets paid okay.
1: Someone told me waitresses get like waiters and waitresses get
0: like thirty five dollars an hour. Is that possible? Yeah, depending on when they work. Absolutely. Yeah, God. like. And it's Australian dollars, but it still shakes out at a decent, a decent amount of money. What like, does that shake out as? <laughs> well, that, so thirty five dollars an hour. That would be. I'm pretty sure that would be a weekend working in hospitality in Australia. So if you're working a, on a, a weekend shift, you get paid more on weekends. Uh huh. Um, so I think that would work out to. That'd be like twenty eight bucks. Ah. Oh. Twenty five, twenty eight bucks an hour. That's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah. You know, It's. I, I'm. But I always feel here like. I talked about this during a, my comedy festival show is called Explain America to Me where I would ask people why things are the way they are here. And um, one of the things I don't understand is it feels to me that everyone is expected to tip but companies aren't expected to pay the employees properly. Right. And it feels like consumers are topping up the incomes of everyone That's exactly who's exactly. not getting paid properly. Yes. And all of a sudden, we're the bad people if we don't come to the party. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've got no problem tipping. I've got no issue with it. But I feel like, well, if everyone just got paid properly, then no one could say, oh, if you don't tip, they don't live. You know, like. There like are increasing numbers of no
1: tipping restaurants opening in New York. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I went to a bar the other night and there was like, we're a no tipping bar. I was like, okay. I mean, it's weird and it feels weird, but they were very adamant on the menu. It said it like 10 times. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well.
0: And did you feel more comfortable eating there? Did you feel. I.
1: I, I mean, it's easy enough to tip at a bar or anywhere, but it. it I, there is part of me that feels a little weird about it. But, like, I went to Japan where they kind of just include the service charge on the check and no one really throws extra money down as far as I know. Yeah. And it felt like, oh, this is just such a relief. Because you go through a hotel and you're like, one guy opens the door and then another
0: guy walks up to you and says you need help. And you're like, am I supposed to just be throwing? Yeah. And, and also, if, you, if you're not familiar with it and you land here and you get it wrong, right. you're treated like the worst person in the world. Like, you know, like the first time I landed here as an adult, and a guy helped me with one bag to my room and I I was like 20. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of money anyway, but like I, I gave him like a buck uh-huh. and it was like, like he was, he was audibly angry. <laughs> like he was muttering to himself as he walked away. And it was like, I'm not from here. I didn't know. I didn't know what was expected. Right. Like, and, and that's hard. That's not good. That's not a good situation. People should be able to not know what's going on and, and find out without being judged. Oh think, really? Yeah, I think so. You could just look it up. Yeah, well. Did they have Google back then? No, well, no they didn't. They literally I could have AltaVistaed it. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: Oh, what's going on in my hallway, man? Someone's renovating. That that's cool. That's, that's a little cool. color to the whole thing.
0: It really does. Were you born in Melbourne? Uh yes, I was and grew up there. What's the uh is there an actual feud between them and Sydney? Just a healthy disregard. Really? Like, it's it's not like it's not like a feud, feud. But there's two, like, there's two proper cities in the country. Like, right. they're Melbourne and Sydney. And it's like LA and New York. Like, you know, New York doesn't really hate LA. LA doesn't really hate right. New York. But, you know,
1: there's a little banter.
0: People will be like, yet. yeah, I'm a, no, I'm a New York person. I'm not an LA person. People go, no, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm an LA person. I'm not a New York. That's what it feels like. Like, that's... Um, that said Melbourne is I mean objectively a better city. I've lived in both, and Melbourne is better
1: yeah, I just remember seeing a, hearing a guy on a plane like I don't someone said, oh, from Melbourne he goes uh, Sydney like he was really like, okay, well, they're both kind of nice from my perspective yeah, <laughs> Sydney's beautiful, and Melbourne's probably the city I would choose if I was going to
0: yeah uh, Sydney's much prettier you have nicer views the weather's great, you have beaches all right, and they're all winning things, but there's more to do and more to talk about in Melbourne. Do you get bored there ever? I get bored everywhere. That's ever. true, you know, right? Like, like a bit. Oh, they not like New York. I haven't yet. Maybe I just haven't lived long enough in a row to get bored here. Is this your longest stretch that you've lived here? Yeah, this one will be. This will be like five months this time around. And you met your wife here? No, I met her back in Australia. She was working. Her father's Australian. Her mother is American. So I met her working at. She was working at the Department of Justice, but in. In Melbourne, so and you were being brought up on charges. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. No, no, she was. That's where she was working. I met her actually. Her this is tedious, but one of her work colleagues, her boyfriend, was a writer on my TV show. So that's how that all oh. uh, that all happened. I got invited to a birthday drink, so I was set up without knowing it. Oh. Turns out they were right. So they Good, were right. good, good for them. The um, how long has your show been on the air? Uh, we've done two seasons of this one. Um, so two years and we're going into a th- pre-production on our third season at the moment and it's doing well yeah it's been great yeah perfectly happy getting enough people like I on a, all added up it's a million viewers a week sort of what is the population of Australia 23 million 24 million because I was
1: looking at your Twitter page and I was like oh this guy's got 300,000 I a little more than I do but he's from Australia so that's like if I had like 10 million followers.
0: I don't know if it's that well, I don't know we could crunch the numbers but it's like yeah it's in Australia where it's that's a big amount here. It's
1: yeah. I mean, here it's still fine, but you do know. you, um, how often do you tour and what's it like to tour
0: in Australia? Is it, is it kind of like you play certain cities and then you got to have a whole new show? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it is. You, you I think you can only go so, take a show somewhere once and then you have to come back with something new. Um, and it's, is it, different for everyone. I haven't done a lot of touring for the, like the last four years and I'm starting to get back into it again. Um, because I, before uh, the show that I did before this one, I was on five nights a week. Uh-huh. Um, like anchoring an hour of like news comedy. Uh, what news was that show. That was called The Project. Okay. and uh, Which was a bit like, imagine a Today Show at night, but with an audience and some jokes. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's yeah. probably the best way of describing it. So I did that. I did like 1,400 episodes of that. 1,400? Yeah. Oh my. Which is a lot. That's a lot of episodes of something. Um, and I didn't tour a lot then for a couple of reasons. One... I wanted to have a life because I was, you know, doing a show every night. And also, I was in people's living room every night to then go, oh, can you also come out on Saturday night and see me? And you can but imagine it's... people going, hey, man, like really? I spent the whole week with you. I, you know. But don't they want to see you live? Well, yeah, no, they they do. But I I'd still, I almost feel awkward just expecting that of people i, don't know. Is, I would do stand-up everywhere like i pop up and do stand-up all right. the time i just wouldn't like do a tour and you know now now i'm getting back into doing that have you gone up in new york much yeah i mean do, doing you know i do about four or five shows a week do you yeah and it's been great like i've really been like it's taken me a while to figure it out and there and there are definitely cultural and stylistic differences in stand-up uh-huh. here i mean i I don't know if it's New York specific. I don't think it is, but this is a real joke factory of just like gag, 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 gag. And I don't feel, whereas I'm more inclined to, I'll tell a five minute. I, yeah. my, bits are, my bits are all about, normally about five to eight minutes long.
1: I was going to ask you about that because I watched one on, from your gala. Oh, yeah, right. The, and about the news, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. just dissected everything on the news. Do you, um, how do you, do you write those out? Do you just talk
0: them out? Or? I start, yeah, I start writing and then I, it was actually like I used to write almost write everything and and then take that on stage and just drop things from it, but keep what I'd written. Uh-huh. And it was actually I was on tour with David O'Doherty, the Irish yeah, comic, yeah, he's and we toured a lot together at one point. And he was working up a new show, and I was actually staying in his house in Dublin at uh-huh. the time. So he's working up his new Edinburgh show, and I'd go to his shows, and he'd work during the day and then go on. And he did he did a thing. And it's weird it feels obvious but you know when you when you're starting out you don't know craft you know yeah and he said that like half of the creativity should be on stage with the audience so you should you've got what you write but you should always be on stage new things should be pouring like in the heat of the moment yeah that's right because that's where it actually lives is when it's being said out loud with the audience right and so now i'm more inclined to i'll write a I'll write a, an outline with some key jokes that I'm going to hit, but everything in the middle and where it goes after that, I'm comfortable to, to just figure out on stage. And I've even done like I've done a one hour comedy festival show where I took half an hour of material on stage, and the other 30 minutes happen just it's whatever happens on the on the night. That's like every show I do. Yeah, well, but that's <laughs> but there aren't a lot of people that work like. Did that you yet. announce it that way, or did you? No, it's just like that's. They just came to see a show that I was putting on, and I yeah. do that. It's always nice when I
1: make a list of jokes. And I'm like, oh, man, is this enough to cover the time? And then somehow you're like, oh, I didn't even
0: end up doing all of them. Yeah. When you get off stage and go, oh, I didn't, yeah, didn't get to do my bad impression. So, I didn't get to. Yeah. Do you, um, is the, there is there a culture of like specials there in Australia? Uh, less. We're starting to have that. Like, we're starting to, I think technology meant that it became affordable in, in a small market like Australia that more people could do a stand up special that could go on T V. But it, it's a it's a it's a burgeoning culture. It's not like here, you know, stand up specials have been like well, probably around for like twenty or so years, haven't they? You know, like I mean you had Richard oh, Pryor yes, and you yeah, had yeah. you had Eddie Murphy and, you know, you you had shows like that before. But you know on like Comedy Central having specials and right. and HBO having specials, that's been going a long, long time here. Yeah, it has. The, um... But it's weird. I feel a bit here, and I don't mean this Just I'm not going to mention anyone by name, but I feel it's a bit asked backwards here that a lot of young comics that I have done shows with here are all like they're finishing off the material for their special or they're doing their special or everyone... You know, like that's the Netflix special or their uh-huh. CISO special or whatever is their goal. And it feels that there's a few people who... They haven't gotten a, a full hour that hangs together as a concept... But they're doing a special because that's what you do. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I found that in uh, in Edinburgh
1: a lot. I found that there was a lot of like, and I've talked about this a million times. But where there was a lot of like, because there's a pressure to do a new show every year, and I kind of like that wasn't a show that I just saw. Yeah. I mean, you stayed on stage, and but you're like, you had that one bit that was visual that killed fifteen minutes, and clearly, I know what it's like to use filler. I mean, I've had stuff where I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to throw that joke in cuz I need to fill out the hour. But you feel bad about it and or at least you should feel bad. I about do. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like actively go, this is filler, but there's times, you know, you just do an hour and you go, I didn't 15 minutes of that I wish I hadn't done.
0: Yeah, and but in in Australia and in, in the UK, there is more of a culture of festivals with an hour and ever and you yeah, have to yeah. do a new hour every year. But it's funny, the pendulum always swings. There's, there's there are years where everyone does a concept show, you know like it's all about one thing like Dave Gorman was the best at doing concept shows and you know and and so I would do heavily concept shows like that. I did my first show in Edinburgh had an an animated narrative that ran with the stand-up I was doing about uh-huh. self-improvement. and then the next year I did a show all sitting at a desk sort of spalding gray style. and the conceit of the show was I'm trying to come up with the first line of my autobiography. And in doing so I accidentally tell stories from my oh, from good. one year of high school. And um and that's a you know, that uh that that was there were both of them. Second one, I worked with a director, it was a finished show. But there are some and but there's times where that's popular and then there's times where people just want an hour of really good stand up. You know, like the market enjoys that uh-huh. more. It's like fashions. But I definitely see that some people don't have a full hour and they're they're just filling filling time. But here it's like it's amazing how a good special will stand out. Like I saw Ali Wong's special yeah, recently. That, yeah. And it was like I, I literally saw it, I was flicking Netflix, I had no idea because I, I don't know everyone here. I had no idea who she was. But she was seven months pregnant. Right, it is. Looked great. looked cool as fuck in the poster. Yeah. And I was like, I'm I'm gonna watch this. And my wife and I watched it and just it was one of the funniest things we've seen in a long time. But that was a proper hour. It had a it had a viewpoint, it had a structure. Like, and it was great. But yeah. I've also watched some specials that I've just been like, I couldn't get beyond 12 minutes. Like, a, it, where oh, I was I just going, tried, you know, I've done that too, where you go, God,
1: I really want to, I can't do
0: it. I mean, it's also because I see comedy
1: 16 times a week. So, I mean.
0: So it's got to be, it's got to be pretty special to hold your, you know, like, and, and I also, it's funny, my wife really loves watching stand up specials, and I do, but there's always a point halfway through where I feel. Like it's work, like watching it is work and I always go, oh man, I, I, I got to write more jokes or, you know, like I should be working right now. Right. You know, I, like I, I yeah, get yeah. Te- I get stressed watching it. I just watch,
1: it. watched uh, Doug Stanhope's special. You know oh, Doug is it? Stanhope? yeah, yeah, I love Doug Stanhope. Yeah, and uh, it was, I mean, I, I, he's a friend of mine and I've seen him live and it's just like, fuck,
0: just, it's so like, God, I wish I was doing that. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's hard but, but that's if you think back to I don't know how you were when you were starting out, but I remember when I when I started out I mean I Bill Hicks was like I, I listened to I saw Bill Hicks when I was seventeen. Like he did the Melbourne Comedy Festival oh, yeah? once and so I went and saw Bill Hicks and that was like that's I'm gonna do that. And so when I started doing stand up when I was like 22 and I was trying to be Bill Hicks and it was like the most horrible thing you can imagine but you know you think oh, like I want to be like that thing I think is good. The Bill Hicks Bill Hicks had a lot of wannabes. Yeah. And it's fair viral. enough. Yeah. But, but there's but you know there were a lot of Eddie Izzard wannabes. Like heaps of Eddie Izzard wannabes yeah. when he was huge and you know like I think it happens stylistically there are people that are great and you know I've seen a few people around here that it feels like they're trying to be Louis CK a uh-huh. bit you know like without quite you know, without understanding that yeah. the key is to be yourself. That's what all of those great comics have in common. But it takes you a while to be able to enjoy someone that's different to you right. without wanting to try and replicate or try and do what right. they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because like, sometimes, and I've done this
1: too, where you're like, hey, I think I'm sort of uh, copying that guy's cadence or something.
0: Yeah. Do like, you hear like a goes, joke,
1: but just like, oh, that sort of reminds me of I feel like i was influenced by that guy's rhythm yeah and it's funny i
0: find words will sneak into your vocabulary that are becoming pivots for a joke like there'll be like like i remember at one point i saw this uh, david mitchell this english comic like made this great joke on a panel show once and the key word was objectively like I i remember this really clearly and um, it was like it was QI, the Stephen Fry sort of quiz panel uh-huh. show thing. It's a great show, and David Mitchell is one of the funniest people on the planet. And one of the like quiz answers was that milk and bread are actually poisonous for humans, right? Like it's a scientific fact right. or something like that. And David Mitchell gets really active, angry and goes, "That's objectively not the case. Like it's 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 demonstrably not the case, and objectively and demonstrably." And he said, because we've been eating bread and milk for thousands of years and we're still all here, so it's clearly not true, you know. Right. But I remember I just, I enjoyed this moment and then I found myself using the word objectively and the word demonstrably more just when I would write things, when I'd be working on a script for the TV show or when I'm doing stand-up and I'd start reaching for it. And you go, yeah, like that's influenced me. I'm not, I'm not here trying to be David Mitchell or I'm, I'm not trying to be this comic but you hear it, you know, Like it's it's not until you 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 get a laugh with it and you just go, oh, hang on, that that didn't feel like me. That felt like something else that's come in,
1: right? Yeah. And then yeah, there are people who you kind of there are people who do, who do that and, and then do get out of their system,
0: I think, and yeah. find
1: their own voice. But there are definitely people who are like, wow, that you're influenced so heavily by. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's it's a shame because the only path to like long term, the only path is. Finding your yourself right. and your voice and doing that. Have you and your wife
1: watched my special on Netflix? Do
0: you know what? Do you know it's literally queued up as of about a week and oh a half gosh, ago? It's all crowd work. But you know Talk what? About half hour material. This was zero material. Well, no, but I love that. Like I like because I like. Is it literally all cr- crowd yes, work? Yes, it's a tour. Great, it's great. great. City tour. No, because I love it. Like I like, and that's a thing here is that I've noticed is I find there's less. It's almost like crowd work has a bad. Reputation, because that's what the MC, you know the host does, not the actor. I, I don't know. The culturally, I I feel like I don't see people improvising a lot in their stand-up. Yeah, here. I could be wrong about that, but I I don't know. It depends on the comic, but yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean, it's weird that you haven't watched it. That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, <laughs> my wife actually chose it. So did she really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So take that as a compliment. I can't
1: wait for you to email me once you've seen it. I will absolutely. That's do you? Uh- do you, um, did you watch my special? No, but I watched all those clips.
0: Yeah, I guess you did. Yeah. Do you have one on Netflix? No, not on Netflix. There's probably someone's put it up illegally on YouTube somewhere. Oh, really? But it's 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 funny. It's 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 interesting. They because they put it on TV on my the TV network that I'm on. Um, something like four or five years after I recorded it, because uh-huh. I was now on that network right. and they got it and put it on. And it was weird. I watched it back and I was like, I had to take a whole five minute piece of material out. Because it was no longer appropriate to say out loud. And it was really interesting. It's, and it's like the world became more conscious about the offensiveness of certain terms and uh-huh. things like that. Um, and there was this bit that wasn't disparaging to a certain group in the community, but it was using... It's a story from childhood, like literally from grade right. four. and um, But it's using the language of the schoolyard that we used back then. And it's just telling a story about that time, but now realizing that if, if as it turns out, if you're a person with disability and you watched it, you could find that deeply offensive. And I never meant it in that way. Right. If you if you know what I mean. The okay. The word the word is spaz. Uh huh. And it wasn't meant to, as anything to do with disability. It was meant like the you know the the kid that doesn't fit in. Right. If you know what I mean. Clumsy kid. Clumsy kid. But and at the time. No one had a problem with the bit of material. And, every, you know, it was totally fine. It was amazing the consciousness of and my consciousness above everything else. Like, when they said we want to put this on TV, and I, like, the moment they told me, I, like, went through the list of what was in the material and I was like, going, oh, no, you can't. You've got to take all of that out. Like, I don't stand by that anymore. Like, uh-huh. that's not a thing that I'm.
1: Oh, so you had them at that. Yeah,
0: they that actually out. took a whole chunk of the oh, show I see. out.
1: That was in a special that already Yeah, aired. yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, because you don't want, like, a whole, like, uh, Backlash over you.
0: Well, you don't and want you, you do that, but also I don't, don't want, want anyone watching it yet. going like, right. thinking that's what I th- think. If you know what I mean, it's it, it now has a different context entirely in a modern you know in a modern right. context. I get it, but that's uh, I think that's you know it's it's kind of like you know you watch Eddie Murphy, um, delirious, and the first five minutes of that show is about uh, how homosexuals aren't allowed to look at his ass his, his butt while he's on stage and he does a whole thing about AIDS and a whole thing about about gay men and in hindsight you watch it and you just go man, not, like he would be he would be in the middle of, of a social media storm right now if he put that to air now do you know what I mean? That, I've seen it occasional be- reference to him like when he won like the Kennedy Center Honors
1: Award or something
0: like very recently and yeah.
1: someone pointed that out and I was like
0: that's, fair. that's a good point but to some extent, like like I don't think at the time he was targeting anyone, and I think he reflected actually a level of awareness that existed at the time. You know, and I think it's a bit. I mean, what was that? Like eighty three. Yeah. What's that? Thirty three years ago. It's a bit. It's a bit. I, I don't think it's fair to reach back and go, "Hey, Eddie Murphy, you shouldn't get this award because thirty three years ago you did this bit of material." There. Right. That was by no means offensive compared to everything else going on at the time. But I was next in line for the award. So. Yeah, so then I hate him, and uh, and someone's up. got to hold him accountable. <laughs> I kind of like
1: when I mean I always enjoy when a comic says something that I can't defend that I laugh at.
0: Yeah, like, that's exciting to me because I like the involuntary nature of it. Like I, I, I like I, I like the reminder that to laugh at a joke in a comedy club is not a conscious de- voluntary decision. Right. You know what? Like when. People get a joke and they laugh, most of the time. Like it's involuntary, like it, it's a physical involuntary action to creating a thought in someone's head. Like you, you know, you put a thought in someone's head and they almost involuntarily laugh. It's right. a, almost a violent act, but it's. I like that you can laugh at something and find it funny, and then actually think, oh, you know, I can't, I can't defend that at all. Like, but your first response is to laugh, and it's a good reminder that comedy doesn't always play by conscience. And also, I think it, it being in
1: the room is different than someone posting a clip on a blog. Yeah. Oh,
0: I think absolutely. I, I, you know. So I think if you've got a problem with what someone says in a standup, you know, in a standup venue, a either it, let it go. You don't have to be friends with them. Right. You know, they're not marrying your daughter. Let it go. You know. Or you can go up and address dress it with them after the show if you, if you really care if you really feel that a wrong has been done to you have you ever had anyone do that I had the, probably the worst okay so I was doing a gig in a little club in um, London um, it's a weird little club like in London to drink after midnight you have to be a member of a private yeah, club yeah. and there's this club called Adams Street and you have to you can become a member if you do this they do a monthly stand-up gig and so stand-ups do this gig and they get membership at this oh, wow. club, right? And it's really, done that. it's really cool. Jimmy Carr's manager organizes the gig. Okay, uh, so Hannah, right? yeah, Hannah, yeah. So ask Hannah. I'm, I don't know if she still does it, but anyway. So I did a, I did this gig, and at the time, I was doing this. It was going terribly. I was dying. I was dying. It was going so badly, and I was doing this bit of material about how a, at the time Osama bin Laden hadn't been found, and it was just about how he was. Like world hide and seek champion, and then it got into this prolonged act out of him, in a cave with his um, personal assistant Mustafa, uh-huh. and how Mustafa just had not prepared well for them to be in this cave so long, so he didn't like he brought hungry, hungry hippos and nothing else to do. Like it, and but I, and I would do this very camp Osama bin Laden impression, and which I found innately funny that he that he was very sort of soft and genteel as a yeah. character and it would normally kill but it wasn't going really well on this this t- on this night and a woman in the front row who was wearing an arctic fox fur around her neck said no not funny <laughs> right and i'm in character and i stay in character. i never break character I, like i didn't break character as a son of laden i responded to her saying uh, something like, well, I, I have trouble believing that uh, a woman wearing an Arctic uh, wearing an endangered species is the arbiter of good taste, right? And and that got a laugh. And she said, no, I had friends who died in September 11, and she and that just stopped the room. And. I responded in character as Osama bin Laden. I said, "What well, a coincidence. I had friends who died in <laughs> September 11." Oh my god. And the crowd loved it, but she she tried to charge the stage. Her friends held her back. And then I finished the gig and it was gig was great after that. Like and it was literally it's yeah, one those, of my some good
1: comebacks. Yeah,
0: it was probably my favorite joke I've ever done in in the moment, right? Yeah. But then afterwards like all of her friends like ganged up on me at the end of the show and go, how dare you do that? You can't, you know, like, and were really angry, angry with me about it. That's an extreme version because I still don't think I did anything that wrong, if you know what I mean, in that in that example. But I do, I've also had people come up, if I've used a term that that is offensive and I've not known it's offensive, and they have come up and said, hey, just so you know, that term actually means this or is offensive. And when you travel internationally, sometimes you don't know. I don't travel the world dropping N bombs, no. you know. But it's sometimes you you don't know, like the word "wog" in Australia. i never heard "wog." So "wog" in Australia refers to um, Italian, Greek, sort of Mediterranean. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it's very much been owned by that community for comedic purposes, and it's largely a term of endearment. It's not seen as a unless you use it in a you know in, in a derogatory fashion. Right. Most of the time, it's not seen as as that offensive, but that word in the UK means a black person. Oh. so it means like gollywog. I don't know. Do you know what a gollywog is? It's like a, a racist doll, like a minstrel doll okay. that was popular that, in the colonies. I've never heard of that. So, I... so that's a thing. Look it up, yeah, anyone. Well... Um, but you know, there was a time where kids had gollywog dolls and toys. They were like teddy bears. And then it became apparent that that was no longer acceptable. But the term wog is so deeply offensive. Like I once had Stuart Lee, you know Stuart Lee? Yeah. He came up, I was talking on stage in Melbourne, he came up to me and and I was referring to a thing that had had the word wog in the title. I wasn't talking about them as a group, I was making a joke about this show that had wog in the title. And he came up and he said, hey, if you ever said that in the UK, you'll probably get hit because the word wog is just so completely... Like, so completely off the table. And you don't know that until you.
1: Timer
0: is set. Oh, shit. Wow.
1: That's weird. That's that. I have one of those <laughs> Amazon Echoes that just went off. That's yeah.
0: embarrassing. And we're having that's, a good conversation. That's apparently how Amazon Echo tells you they're offended at, at the word that you're using. That's they like, just bring up some other administrative task to interrupt you. That's like your publicist is with you on the
1: interview. <laughs> like, yeah, he's about ready to wrap up. He's got, he's got, <laughs> he's got a 2.15 interview on, so we need to get him. Um, Well, I'm sorry that happened, and that was weird. But uh,
0: Well, wow, it happened, though. So that's, so that's all right. So do you have a um, an approach that, like, a, a purist approach to your podcast that you don't edit? Like you just record the conversation? That's
1: more, it's more lazy than purist. I would, I would mm-hmm. edit something out. Um The things I edit out, like if sometimes someone will say something, yeah, something where you're, well, then maybe they'll talk about someone and say something disparaging. It's like, you know, that doesn't need to be out there. Yeah. And also I don't want retaliation from someone who's like, why did you let that out? Yeah. But yeah, for yeah. the most part, I don't edit unless, you know, sometimes some people reveal where I live by mistake.
0: Yeah, that has to go. Yeah, because- I've already I already tweeted that before I came in. So um, holy shit, you tweeted about me? Yeah, <laughs> three hundred thousand Australians are pretty excited to know so where he, you live. So
1: Stuart Lee, uh-
0: <laughs> So yeah, Stuart Lee actually pulled me aside and goes, "You know, like you, you probably think about that word, particularly uh-huh. if you're going to work, in, you know, if you're working in the UK, like that's not, you know, that's not a cool word. And it's, but that's interesting. You know, sometimes you don't know. It's actually what I feel about. You know, we're in this era where people are so angry about political correctness but people are angry about offensive things and I actually think there's just a common courtesy in the middle that we should all want to learn and if someone comes and says hey you know if they're nice about it if they don't scream racist in your face but they come up and go hey do you know that thing you said or that word that you said are you aware that that's quite hurtful to people and this is why then I think a reasonable person would take that on board and change what they yeah. change what they do. I think unless it's out is- of bounds and it's like you're sensitive about nothing, or you know that it's too much. But if you just yell racist at someone, they're not going to listen. But if someone does tell you that you, you've hurt them, you should at least listen. I mean,
1: I think the problem is is I once did this joke. Used to do this joke about a, a pedophile who got arrested and how they tracked him down. And just because I said the word pedophile on stage, a woman up front just shut down, which she'd been laughing. And then her boyfriend, or guy who was with, her, he's like, comes up to me after she goes, Hey, that joke, you might want to lose that joke. I was like, I, I should lose it. What? <laughs> and it's just like, if she wasn't with you and you heard that joke, you wouldn't have come up to me. Yeah. You, what happened is she got offended, and I'm sorry that she went through something. And then he's like, I'll go talk to him. And that's what happened. You know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. He's like, I'll go talk to the comic and I'll tell him never do the joke. Yeah. And he even, he even kind of kind of pulled back a little when I kind of because I was like yeah I'm not going to stop doing something because the joke's not even a fa- it's not even about so I said I can't even say the word pedophile on stage because it might trigger something yeah it's like that's kind of
0: that's can I say the word murder can I say well yeah there's cancer? a answer uh, I a, a friend of mine Greg Fleet an Australian comic used to do this great bit of material about a shark attack and then one night there was a person in the audience who had lost someone to a shark attack and started openly weeping during the show. Yeah, I mean... But it's like, and that's, like, that's terrible, but it does, I don't think it means you can't talk about shark attacks because then you can if you if you run a list like that <coughs> and are that risk averse, then we can't talk about anything at the end of the day. Exactly. And, and then it becomes the worst comedy, which is bland observational comedy that doesn't take us anywhere, doesn't challenge anything, doesn't enlighten anyone. Right. You know. That's what I do, though. Okay. No, no, no. no. No, I no, do, no, no, I do no, happy gritty
1: gritty shit. How's your frequent flyer mile thing going? Yeah, good. What do you got? Know? Like uh, every, every time I get booked in Australia, I go, ooh, instant gold, yeah, instant silver status. No,
0: I cracked a million, a million. I cracked a million miles on what? Qantas? Yeah, which is less useful than say American, but it's useful enough. Qantas flies back here, so I've been able to have a number of flights just on points from from Australia to here. They're, they're big flights, like. Yeah. That's some proper flying. And you cash that in for American, also, right? Aren't yeah, I can. Yeah, and um, so yeah, you know, I'm I'm quite a big deal. Yeah, I'm quite a big deal in the points do in you, the points uh, ecosystem. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. <laughs>
1: that's why I brought that up. Everyone was waiting for that. The um, that flights up. That's nuts.
0: Well, so so yeah, it it is. But to give you some idea, if if you're in Australia, you have to travel a long way to go anywhere right. to do anything good. So since I've been here, I did two nights at the Sydney Opera House, like two, sh- two solo shows and then a, um, a gala. So I, I, <laughs> and I had a corporate gig and I did it all in three nights and I flew from here to Sydney, did a show that night, next night, next night, flew out the next morning, flew all the way back and that feels like it w- wasn't fun. But that's normal enough. Yeah. So that's like 48 hours of travel for 72 hours on the ground. Actually, less, maybe about 68 hours on the ground that I did in the end. Do you, I feel like, yeah, you have to
1: adjust. Because I'm a big clock watcher type. And uh, you yeah. really have to just recalibrate and readjust your. You yeah. can't be looking at your watch flying Australia. No,
0: you just have to accept whatever is there when you get there yeah. and acclimatize and. Do you talk about this, part? like melatonin is the best thing. Like, Does that work? Yeah, it's great. What, when do you take that? You just, when you get there um, and it's time to go to bed, just take a bunch of melatonin. Melatonin is like what your brain secretes to make uh-huh. you sleepy and sleep through the night. And it's in, it, it's part of circadian rhythm. So it's to do with the sun and all of that. Like, you know, you're on a 24 hour cycle. So what it does is it helps reset that. It means you, you sleep through the night better rather than waking up at three in the morning So you don't awake. do it when
1: you get there or are on the flight, you do it.
0: Well, I'll also, from the moment I get on a flight, I change my watch to the time that I'm landing in. Uh-huh. And I try to behave as though I'm a, I, I want yeah. to arrive at that time. So it's like, and normally like from here to Australia, it's always you're landing in the morning. Yeah. So I just try to, I stay up, I stay up, I stay up and then I try to bank an eight. I take some sleeping tablets and try to bank an eight hours sleep and get up, wake up just before I land and that's all right. And coming back this way, you land at like, you land at like six o'clock at night. So what I really try to do is from LA to here, you just stay up no matter what, you don't sleep between LA and New York. You just stay up and you fight it and that, that helps. Is this what people want to listen to these yeah. days? Is that's, it really?
1: That's what you're saying. What you just said right there is this is boring. You're being you're leading. You're saying I'm a boring podcast.
0: No, I'm, I'm worried that I'm. I've led oh, you no. down. I've led you. No, no, no. I can, I've led you to um, talk time zones. Some and, of the and shit that leg. I've talked about to people.
1: <laughs> where I go, I think this is boring. Is the stuff people go? Oh no, that's
0: we love that. Detail. But detail is exciting. Like is. detail. When you take the time to find it, is is good. Now, what's going on with uh, Australians and and coffee?
1: Now, have you found some good coffee here?
0: Yeah, there's a um, there's a place. I think it's called Collins Street. I think it's called Collins Street, which is the name of a street in Melbourne, and uh, or Flinders Street. Anyway, uh, and that's good. And there's a place. What's really funny is um, there's a good coffee joint here. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, I can't remember off the top of my head but it's owned by Hugh Jackman.
1: Oh, is that Blue Bluestone? Blue, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That?
0: And they make good coffee. And I only found out about it cuz a couple of years ago I, I was interviewing him for a new X-Men movie here. Uh-huh. And they had a coffee cart like set up where all the interviews were, like for this junket at, at the hotel. And and I said, "Oh, that's really good coffee." And he was like, "Yeah, that's that's my that's my cafe." That's and, and I said, "Why would you do that?" And he goes, oh, just, "I just I really missed good coffee." being here in New York. But it's weird. I'm not that... Ar- like, I love coffee, and in Melbourne I take it seriously, but here I just pour out, pour, out good,
1: some, pour out some damn coffee. There's plenty of good coffee here. Anyway, I have a friend who I know who came to from Australia, and she was visiting, and she, um, she's like, oh, I'm not afraid. You can't get good coffee. I go, go to this place. And she liked it so much, she wrote a review, like a positive Yelp review.
0: Yeah. It's like, come on, So it's, yeah, just don't think... One thing is everything. Anyway, like it's like it's like you land in, you land in um, Israel and go to a falafel joint and have a bad falafel, and you go, don't eat the falafel in Israel. Right. All the falafel's bad. Like it's like, well, that's not a thing. You go to what? a different falafel place. Right. There's lots of good coffee here. But the thing, is, I drink like filter coffee here. You know, just like coffee. You know, yeah, pour yeah. it out coffee. I don't drink that back in Australia. It's all espresso. It's right? all espresso based.
1: Although. Where's that place? That's What's the place on Little Burke Street? The place with chairs above it on the ceiling? Like Baba Brother, Brother Baba or something? Oh, yeah.
0: It's really good coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, like there's, I mean, the thing is we had, we had a mass Italian migration to Melbourne specifically, uh-huh. and they seriously brought coffee culture with them. And so we had an espresso culture, like a real espresso culture. What's really interesting in America because I'm a bit into the history of coffee. And in America, coffee wasn't that big a deal, did not, like the, the Italian migration here wasn't very coffee focused. Uh-huh. But when coffee after World War II became hugely commodified, you know, with that explosion of advertising and industrialization in America that occurred after World War II, um, this weird thing happened that, they decided Robusto beans sounded like they were better than Arabica beans <laughs> because Arabica beans sounded like Arabs and Robusto sounded strong Robust, and good. yeah. So the thing about Robusto beans is they're big and they're flavorless, like, or not, but they're nowhere near as flavorful as um, Arabica beans. And so like, what happened was all of the coffee that America, the American palate got trained on was actually bad coffee. And it, like literally the beans that were used... That they were grown in huge quantities from Brazil and brought up oh. here were not as good as the Arabica beans that say that you'd get from, like, Ethiopia has the best coffee in the world, like the best beans in the world. And whereas that's where that's the kind of coffee that Europe was drinking. And so it actually took a long time for the American palate to work Arabica beans into their coffee. Starbucks was literally one of the first places to make to make espresso a thing that people got into. They make a very milky coffee for my... Like, I just get poured out coffee. I don't get espresso there, but, you know... It's not my favorite coffee. I don't mean to be like Mr. No Starbucks, but
1: it ain't my favorite. But if someone from Starbucks wants to send me some Via instant coffee, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, I I actually... I really dig it. But I get into it for six months that I'm here. So I like... I'll, I'll sample their flavor. I have a chestnut praline dark roast and I so think that's a really good cup. Co- huh? yeah really well, yeah and I'll if anyone some- from Starbucks is listening
1: I'll tell you some good coffee shops here in New York but I'll do that off off camera because <laughs> that's going to get real specific um, how famous am I in, in Australia do you think I'm famous
0: yeah. I'm like, serious. No, you, okay, I'm so half joking. so what I would say is in the comedy scene, you're definitely known, and so fans of stand-up comedy would definitely know you, they would know you from when you were there, and you did, I think you did a gala on TV there when you yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah. so people would know you it from that. It wasn't easy
1: if I remember. I don't know if
0: it killed, but uh, I don't remember killing. But It's funny, I think <laughs> what is great is you, I think you were stylistically different to other American comedians that we had seen up till that point. Uh-huh. Which I think is a competitive advantage, but might first because the gala would be the first, almost the first show that you do. It was, I think. Yeah. Yeah, So that's it. So that's so that's the first time time anyone sees you, and and if you're not like Jerry Seinfeld or Dice Clay or (laughs) like, then then it takes people a a while to get to get your style. But people like fans of comedy know who you are, and also your cameos on Louis would be very well known in Australia as well. I say cameos. Is that the, that's it's their cameos, aren't they? Like, yeah, if you want
1: to insult me, that's perfect. No, I, I mean oh, yeah. I guess they're cameos. Yeah, they have little parts, well, L- r- little recurring parts. I yes, guess they're cameos. Yeah,
0: yeah. Supporting supporting. Sure, like, yeah. I don't think it's an insult to say you're not no, it's the not. lead. <laughs> you're not the lead on Louis. It's not. I don't think it's unfair. I was just being. I was being faux offended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, faux offended. It's the worst. <clears throat> um, is there people know who you are. Is the is the main purpose of this to to explore whether you should go into a. To get on the road and go back? Would you go back? I'd like to go back. Um, it's just so it's so far. and
1: I'd love it there, though. Like Australia's a place where I was like, when I first got invited, I was like, well, I'd never really thought about going to Australia. I mean, I didn't have any negative feelings. It just wasn't like, oh, I want to go to Australia. And I was like, holy shit, this place is great. Yeah. it's. I've been there three times.
0: It's easy, too. Like, for an American to go there, it's easy. Like, the language is largely the same. Yeah. Um, we like mostly the same stuff. You just get used to some different food and some different ways of doing things, and not fearing uh, firearms ever. <laughs> and that's a that Ooh. so it's a bit it's a bit laid back and relaxing. I forgot about that. But that's do you know that's the the funny thing about like you know I, I, I love it here. I would I would happily live here. But I've got a I've got a kid, and I think. I think the right to go to school without fear of getting shot is as important as the right to own a gun. Yeah, that's
1: I, I agree with you.
0: I, it's a shame that wasn't in the Constitution. But I... You know, so that's the only thing, like, having grown up in Australia and completely... Having, having a, an Australian cultural understanding of guns... That's a very different thing to come here. I'm not. I'm. Can you own a gun in, in Australia? You can, but you have to be like a sports shooter or a like you. You, you have to. It's for hunting only. Like uh, farmers and sports shooters, really. Like you, and you have to be properly licensed and registered. And you can't just keep a gun in your house in the suburbs. Like that's a that's a difficult thing to do. Like, right? I think re- like if you're a sports shooter, they keep it at the range mm-hmm. in a safe. And you go to the, you know, you go to the rifle so you range, can't even and you,
1: bring your own gun. Really,
0: I think you can bring your. I, I don't know if it, you can bring your own shotgun to clay pigeon shooting if you do clay pigeon shooting. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've never shot a gun in my life. Really? Yeah. So I did cadets at school. So I did a lot of. I did a lot of shooting. Is that, that, that
1: like uh, ROTC? I guess they would call that here.
0: Uh, it depends what ROTC means. I forgot. It's like, like it's like kids, kids head. dressed in army clothes, doing marching and you know camping and shooting stuff oh. like you know like basic basic military training for kids Did you have to do that? We did at my school. I went to like I went to a private boys school that was very old school. Imagine like Dead Poets Society. Yeah. I kind of went to a school like that. Um uh, I even had an awesome literary lit, literature literature teacher that was a renegade. Like it was I had the completely mirrored experience of Dead Poets Society. Oh, wow. But we had cadets. So we, you know we had like old school English sort of things like cadets and rowing and cricket and things like that. And, uh, and so I was regimental sergeant major of our cadet corps. So I was like drill sergeant, basically. Um, and we did shooting with that. And it was cool fun, but um, it's not important to me. And I, I, I understand that it's really important to some people, like guns are really important uh-huh. to who they are and their culture and it's how they grew up. But I have trouble relating to that. Yeah, me too.
1: But everyone who's on my
0: every guest on my show gets a gun when they leave. Oh, that's great! <laughs> it's an American finally.
1: Copy. Finally, I can. Before we go, what's this show you're doing in New York now that I haven't done yet?
0: Oh well, um, so it's called Charlie Pickering Re- requests the pleasure of your company. Uh-huh. We've got one show to go. Yeah, it's Monday night. You're going to be in town. I might be. What if um, you can? Come you don't film it, do you? No, I don't film it. Um, I can if you want. No, no, but no, no. But it's uh. So I have stand-ups on that I like, like my favorite stand-ups that I've met while who's I've been here. Who's done it? So um, Mark Norman's done it. Uh-huh. Uh, Julia Clare, who's a young comic from Boston. Yeah. I just read her
1: name today, actually. I don't so know so I, I found her
0: because she was on a lineup for Night Whites and Cenacke. Uh-huh. And uh, and then I watched some of her stuff and I really liked it. And that she did that. She's So, so I have a little bit of stand-up, I'll say that. Um, and then I do an interview. So I, um, I've i interviewed like journalists and comedians and like uh, like a really broad range of people because I like to interview and uh, there'll be a sketch portion that I do with another Australian guy who lives here in New York who's an old friend that I used to do radio with called Scott Dooley and so we just do that and then there's like a panel chat called Explain America to Me. So wow. that's like basic, normally like three or four Americans and I ask them why certain things are the way So if out. I did your show, I'd have to do all this? No, you don't have to do all of that. You could do just some stand-up, but I would love you to do the panel chat. How many people does this place hold? 60. Oh, it's small. And it's sold out every show, every show though. It pays, what, 500? Yeah. it's. Uh, I, 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 I'm mainly paying blood diamonds, <laughs> but you do okay. You do okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is like, so I put on these shows and it's normally like 60, 70% Australians. Uh-huh. So that's a very different audience. So like for New York, that's a different audience mix. Right. But it's good for me because everyone, you know, is at least familiar with with me. So I get a bit of a head start.
1: Well, maybe I'll try to do it. You should do it. I'll have to look at my sketch.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: anything else you want to plug? CharliePickering.com?
0: Yeah, just at Charlie Pick is my Twitter handle. and that That'll do. Just follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know other things going on.
1: He writes back to each and every one of you. That's right. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, it was good fun. And people at home, thank you for listening. Sorry, it's been a while since my last episode, but you know, I, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to apologize. I guess I just did apologize. See you next time.
2: Feral Audio.
0: Hey, you with the rhinestone dog collar. Between us, dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with the 1,200 square foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down payment on a fixed rate loan, my human realized a new home was within reach. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof.
1: Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A., Equal Housing Lender, NMLSR ID 399801.